Hi. Today I'm joined by Professor Sam Gambier, who's Professor of Radiology and Bioengineering at Stanford University, and who's a senior author of an interesting paper appearing in this month's Radiology entitled Imaging Gene Expression in Human Mesenchymal Stem Cells from Small to Large Animals. Welcome, Dr. Gambier. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, can you briefly uh, summarize the results that you and your group found? Yes, this is a, a paper that is the result of over 15 years worth of research that has set out to try to develop methods to image cell populations in eventually patients. And the idea is that we've been trying to develop ways so that we can eventually, when cells are injected into the heart, or cells are injected into the body, for example, for targeting tumors, that we need ways to monitor where the cells are in the body, so their locations. We need to be able to understand their numbers, how many are surviving at any given time. And finally, eventually, we like to understand their status. That is, what have they differentiated into or what have they changed into from the time we injected them or introduce them into the body. So this paper is really along a chain of papers that we've had over really almost 15 years now that now makes the transition from small animals to larger animals, specifically pig models. And in this case, it's specifically for cardiovascular applications. And so that's really the general big picture of this paper. It's how to do that. What were the major hurdles in advancing this from small to large animals? That's a great question. The, the technology for doing it, which we've been developing for a long time, has really makes it possible to do in small animals, large animals, and even humans. But it's always more challenging when you're working with larger animals from the perspective of being able to get enough cells that are going to have to be introduced. For example, in a mouse, we might put in a tiny fraction of the number of cells we would introduce into the pig heart, let's say. And so the numbers of cells is one big challenge. The second is related to that instead of using small animal cameras like the MicroPET, now we're using clinical PET imaging systems. And clinical PET imaging systems and clinical PET CTs have not the same kind of sensitivity as what you might see mm -hmm. in a small animal pet system. So all the issues of optimizing the ability to detect the signal from your transplanted cells now becomes much more challenging. There's an awful lot of interest in stem cell therapy and of course imaging sort of to track the uh, what, uh, what happens to stem cells. A number of groups have used MR and loading the cells with iron. Uh, your group has been using a, an agent for PET imaging. Which way do you think this is most likely to go in the future? Are we going to be doing this with MR or with PET? Yeah, to answer that question, we should think about the goals that I mentioned, the locations of the cells, the magnitude of surviving cells and their status, and then realize that no one technology optimally answers all three issues. So the short answer to your question is it's not about PET alone or MR alone, but a combination of the technology 
long answer, which I think I should get into, is that if you want to label cells, one way is just labeling them with radioactivity. That's what a white blood cell scan has done for decades. You remove patients' white cells, label them with, for example, indium oxine, and reintroduce them into the patient. And now you can follow them for a period of time, the time being related to the half-life of the radioisotope, in that case, indium. A second way is to tag the cells with an MR agent, for example, an iron oxide, and now again reintroduce them back into the person and now image in an MR camera. Both those techniques, labeling with indium oxine or MR contrast agents, have this dilemma that as the cells divide, after they've been input into your body, they're going to continue to divide and grow. The label gets diluted. I see. And eventually, you can't follow them anymore because any one cell, which is a progeny of your parent cell, has too little label in it. Mm -hmm. So we were trying to solve this problem by fundamentally changing how we could follow cells by putting in a barcode, if you will, for that cell so that it can be tracked for the rest of its life. So our goals are much more ambitious. They're like, well, we're going to put in cells into the heart or cells into the brain or cells into your blood, and we want to know where they are three years from now. So how do you do that? How can you possibly do that? Because the label strategies get diluted. So we have been developing these reporter genes. So they're genes that get inserted into the cell's genome, and now those cells make a unique protein that no other cells in your body make. And we now have an imaging agent that when we introduce it into your body, that imaging agent goes and finds and gets trapped only in the cells that have been tagged with the reporter gene. And that lets you find the cells over and over and over. For example, you're going to get a PET scan tomorrow, and the FHBG, the PET imaging agent, gets injected into you. It goes into all your cells, but it only gets trapped in the cells that have the reporter gene, in this case, the stem cells. And then, six months from now, the original FHBG is long since decayed away. The fluorine-18 isotopes long since stopped providing signal because it only has a two-hour half-life. Sure. But now we come in with another injection of FHBG six months from now, and it goes and hunts down where those cells are again. So this fundamentally changes the equation for cell imaging because it lets us track the cells forever. And, And that's one way. Now, you could say, can you also do that with MRI? You could make a reporter gene that lets you now have a protein in a cell that traps an MR imaging agent. So an MR strategy could also be used. The problem has been the sensitivity of such strategies is not quite possible yet for numbers of cells we need to track. But eventually you could still do it with MR or PET or SPECT using a reporter gene as opposed to a direct dye. I see. I guess sort of ideally you'd have the reporter gene would report on a key function that you're trying to propagate with the stem cell, if you could do that. Yeah, so that's a great, uh, perfect example of the next issue, which is one, you could have the stem cells always have the reporter gene on so that you could just find how many are alive, how many cells are alive. But the other way is you can tell the reporter gene 
to only be turned on when the stem cell differentiates. So when the stem cell becomes a cardiac cell, now turn the reporter gene on, and so now you'll only image the cell if it's matured into the right cell. And that also makes it very powerful. Now, I noted in your study, uh, you use these biopolymer scaffolds to increase the intramyocardial retention of the mesenchymal stem cells. Can you tell us more about this? Are these going to be very important whenever we're doing sort of stem cell transplants and the like? Yeah, so what we found was that when we were trying to do these studies initially in pig models, where we were delivering mesenchymal stem cells into a portion of the heart, what we found is that we do the delivery, go to the PET scan, and we'd never see anything. And we were puzzled why we knew we were injecting cells that the PET scanner should see, we knew we had enough such cells, we weren't injecting so few that the PET scanner couldn't image them, and yet we never see them. So eventually we figured out that what happens is that when you inject the cells, they basically leak out and leave the heart hmm. so that very few remain. So then we said, okay, how do we get them to stay there? And one of the thoughts that was tested in this paper was a scaffold. It's really, if you will, a gel that helps the cells to stick around, and as they grow and divide, they then can take root at the site you've implanted them. And I think whether you use the kind of scaffold we used, which was matrigel, or other scaffolds that will eventually be developed, that will be a key strategy because you need the cells, especially in these kind of cardiac applications, to stay where you put them. Thanks very much. And one last question. Molecular imaging is in common parlance, but it's not in common clinical use. Where are we in the development? I mean, this is a, a very important step that you are reporting, but when do you think these techniques will be part of the clinical armamentarium? Often molecular imaging is looked at with amazement that we can do all these kinds of things and then with disappointment and that why can't we do more of it quickly in humans. And with regards to this study, although we haven't yet put in cells into the heart, cells that have been tagged with reporter genes, we have done for the first time ever studies in humans where we've put T cells to attack tumors where the T cells have been tagged with a reporter gene. And that paper came out in Nature Oncology a few months ago. That was the first demonstration in a human of doing the same kind of work, although for a different disease, cancer. What slows molecular imaging down is really its Achilles heel, that you have to introduce an imaging agent into the person. So it'd be great if we could tag these cells with a reporter gene and they would automatically signal to us, but we have no way in most of molecular imaging other than to introduce an imaging agent first. And because you have to introduce an imaging agent, there's all the regulatory sure. issues, and that slows us down. But then what slows us down further usually is that because it's a more intensive procedure requiring an imaging agent, requiring in this case reporter genes, it is more difficult to get numbers of patients and multi-center trials before it becomes routinely accepted, not to mention the reimbursement for the imaging agent. Sure. So, so all those things tend to slow things down. I, I don't think molecular imaging is ever going to be where there's a target and there's a way to image it, and one year later clinicians are busy doing thousands and thousands of patients. 
it's always going to be a multi-year cycle to get the imaging agent approved, reimbursed. For example, in this case, the FHBG, the imaging agent that's for the PET scanner that we use for tracking these cells, that imaging agent, I have an IND, an investigational new drug from the FDA on that agent. It took us a while to get the IND. That's how we did the first human study in the different application. But now that we have the IND, many centers around the country are piggybacking on our IND to do more trials. And then as that takes off, hopefully it will become easier. So those are the reasons, mainly. Oh, very good. Well, uh, Dr. Gambier, thanks so much for joining us. I'm sure our readers will find your paper informative and stimulating. Thanks so right. much. Thanks so much for having me.